statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the
to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. The message today is entitled, We Must See Into the Realm of the Spirit. We Must See Into the Realm of the spirit. It's one of the more fascinating stories of the Old Testament. It's found in 2 Kings, the sixth chapter. The king of Syria is at war with Israel. He sends soldiers to set up ambushes against the king to try to capture him. And every time He talks with his officers about setting up that ambush. Elisha hears it in the spirit and sends a message to the king of Israel and says, don't go to that location because an army is waiting to capture you. And finally, in utter frustration, the king of Syria says to his cabinet, which of you is betraying me? Every time we send out our men, the king avoids us, and he knows we're there. And they reply, none of us are disloyal to you. God tells Elisha what you whisper in your inner chamber. In other words, there's no privacy for you, king. The God of heaven knows everything that you're saying. I want to just stop one minute right there. What you said to your wife this morning, God heard. What you said to your husband or you said to your children on the way to church because they were holding you up, God heard. And kids, anything you said to mom or dad, God heard. Even if you whispered it in your heart, God heard. There is no privacy with God. He's listening to the thoughts of our hearts. And he's responding in time and space and history to what you're thinking and what you're doing. We serve a God who is very active. He is not passive. So the king decides the best option is to go send soldiers and capture Elisha. And so he sends his army with tanks, chariots. They surround Dothan in the dark of night. In the morning, when the servant gets up to prepare breakfast, perhaps, he hears the noise of the chariots and of the soldiers 
And he looks out and discovers that Dothan has been completely surrounded by this army. And he's terrified. What are we going to do? Listen, verse 16. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prays, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of chariots, horses, fire all around Elisha. There's nothing to be afraid of here, because suddenly this servant is given the ability to see in the spirit realm. We as Christians must pray this prayer one for another and for ourselves, that the Lord would open our eyes so that we can see in the spirit realm. In the Garden of Eden, they could see both in the physical realm and in the spirit realm. But when they sinned against God and sided with the devil, they lost the ability to see in the spirit realm. And now they see in the physical realm, they are uncovered. If you cannot see in the spirit realm, you are naked in the physical realm. I just described the nakedness. God hears and sees everything you do, everything you think. You're naked before God. Now, we're not naked before each other because we have these manufactured things called clothing. Well, God made clothing for them out of animal skins. But they were still naked before God, and they were naked before each other and ashamed, so they had to be clothed. But now as Christians, we're to be restored in the fullness of Jesus Christ, which means we must have the ability to see in the spirit realm to know what God is doing so that we cooperate with him in the work he's bringing to pass. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike these people with blindness. If you cannot see in the spirit realm, how will you know how to pray? The key element to see in the spirit realm, we're going to deal with in depth in just a moment. But just on the surface, the way we begin to see in the spirit realm is to believe the promises of God. As we read the promises of God and we begin to apply those promises to the specific circumstances of our lives, we begin to see into the spirit realm because the door into the spirit realm are the promises of God by the blood of Jesus. Second Peter said we participate in the divine nature by the promises of God. Our God is a covenant-keeping God. He only responds to prayers that are based in the word, in the promises of God. If you're not reading this word, you're not getting the currency that will allow you to see in the spirit realm. And you're going to be left praying foolish prayers that God will not answer 
And then you'll finally say, God doesn't answer my prayers. I'm just going to stop praying. And then we find other means to take care of ourselves as we're dressed in these articles of clothing that somehow we think make us so that we're not naked. I want you all to know, every one of you today, you are bare naked. Unless you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, you are naked. And you cannot then see into the spirit realm in your nakedness. And it's the promises of God that we begin to enter into the spirit so that we see in the spirit. Oh, Lord, open his eyes. Then strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Elisha goes out and meets this army. And he says to the lead person, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me. I will lead you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to Samaria, to the capital. Now, the behavior of these men, very unusual. Every place else in Scripture where anything like this happens they take their swords and they begin to swing them and they kill anything close to them and they end up killing each other and the army is defeated. God moved in these men's hearts in their blindness to submit to the blindness and then he leads them. It doesn't say he even took away their swords. He didn't take their weaponry. God not only blinded them, but he stilled them. Can you think today of any enemy that you need to blind and lead to a different place? I can. I can only do it if I can see in the spirit realm. If I'm as blind as they are, we're going to kill each other. Everything then is flesh. You can dress flesh up in all kinds of Jesus language. But if you cannot see in the spirit, it's just religion. And it's ugly. And it's legalistic. And it's self-righteous. It's only when we can begin to see the depths and the vision of God that we begin to be humbled before him. They entered the city. Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Now they're surrounded by the army of Israel, and the king wants to know, shall we kill them? That's not the way of God. Verse 21, shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill men you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so they may eat and drink, and then go back to their master. And it says the king prepared a great feast for these men, and then sent them back to their master in Syria. Very poignant. The raids stopped. The raids stop. Now that raises the question, how then do we truly walk in the Spirit? And where is the passages that will instruct us in the way in which we can walk 
in the spirit. And if you're thinking and alert and know the word, you already know the passage that I have to go to, and that is Psalm 27. I have lived in Psalm 27 probably more than any other passage of Scripture in all of the Bible. I begin every new year by reading and meditating on Psalm 27, and I have notations in my Bible going all the way back to January 1 of 1991. And then I began to make notations every January 1st. I'd make a notation in my Bible about the specific issue that God was saying, wait on me for. Let me just begin. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? That word stronghold in the Hebrew is literally a fort or a fortified place, a place where the enemy cannot penetrate. And I want to tell you the first step, if you intend to walk in the Spirit, you want to see in the Spirit, you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then he is going to have to be the light of your heart and life. And when I think about light, I think about two things. First, I think of the sunshine coming up in the morning where those rays begin to penetrate every crack and crevice. There is no place of darkness that can withstand light. And I've shared with you before, I was terrified of the darkness when I was a child. And my father, very wisely for my birthday, gave me the gift of a flashlight and said, take it to bed with you, Ray. And when you're frightened at night, turn your flashlight on and watch the darkness run. Claim the name of Jesus, Ray, in the darkness, and the devil will have to run. I was never afraid of the dark again. I had that flashlight in my bed. Some kids took teddy bears to bed. I took a flashlight to bed. The bigger, the brighter, the better. Many nights I got out of bed, turned that light on, and checked for any nightmares under my bed. And they'd all run away. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Understand today that your job is not your fort. Your credit card is not your fort. Your family is not your fort. There's only one fort that is sure, and that is Jesus Christ. And I am called now to enter into Jesus. And we've spoken many times about this. You cannot be in New York and Washington at the same time. It's geographically impossible. Jesus Christ is geographic. 
He's sitting right now at the right hand of the throne of God. He is in the tabernacle of heaven. We are called to be seated with him in the heavenly place. Ephesians. At the right hand of God, with him. That is to be our present experience in Jesus Christ. Then verse 2, when evil men advance against me to devour my flesh or to slander my name. It doesn't say if evil men advance. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you desire to see in the spirit, evil people will advance against you to slander your name. When my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. Now he comes to the real truth of what it means to walk in the Spirit. Verse 4, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. We're talking about a positional place. Kids today and too many adults are dwelling in Go Pokemon. Some of you are dwelling in your jobs. Some of you are dwelling in your skill in some area or in your fleshly strength. If you're going to walk in the Spirit, if you're going to see in the Spirit, you are going to have to be dwelling in the house of the Lord. And no sin will enter the house of the Lord. There must be a crucifixion and there must be a resurrection in your life if you are going to dwell in the house of the Lord. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. I want you to understand today that there is a positional place that we as Christians must move into with boldness. There is a house we must move into, and that is the temple of God. You understand Hebrews 6 and 7. In the heavenly realm, there is, in a geographic place, the true temple of God. It is the headquarters from which Jesus ministers his blood and his spirit to the human race. And it's his desire that in the spirit, we move in with him. 
When we're resurrected, we will no longer have this flesh body. We will have a spirit body. But we can go already to that place if we're willing to stop recognizing flesh as prominent and controlling of our hearts and our lives. Some of you have become so weary from what's happening in the physical realm that you have forgotten that God has called you to the spirit realm where sickness cannot affect how you function. Part of what happened to me when my wife died is that I literally saw her in the flesh totally transition to the spirit realm before her spirit left her body. She said to me, Please say at the funeral, The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I came into the bedroom where she was bedridden, and she said to me, Ray, I finally have utterly given up all of my troubles, and I am now in Jesus. And from that point forward, there was only rejoicing as she lay on that bed in great physical pain, dying of cancer. She had already in her spirit transitioned to the spirit realm. Now, I don't want to wait until I'm on my deathbed to do that. I want to do that now. I want to live in the temple of God In reality, now, why wait? Let's go there now. Now notice, verse 6, Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. The Lord wants me to enter into his heavenly tabernacle and in that tabernacle, in the place of prayer, worship and praise him. It doesn't matter what's happening in the physical realm. It only matters what's happening in the spirit realm. If I'm going to see into the spirit realm, I'm going to have to live in the spirit realm. My abiding place is going to have to be in John 15, in Jesus Christ, abiding in Jesus, remaining in Jesus, not leaving him. And then notice, hear my voice when I call, O Lord. So the first step that we have to grab a hold of, if we're going to see in the Spirit, is positioning ourselves in a place where we can see in the Spirit. You're going to have to be in the Spirit to see in the Spirit. I can't see Pike's Peak today. Why? Because it's in Colorado and I'm in Virginia. If I'm going to see Pike's Peak, I've got to move to Colorado where I can see Pike's Peak. 
I have to be positionally where I can see if I'm going to see in the Spirit. I've got to dwell in the Spirit. I've got to live in the Spirit. It has to be the reality of my life and of my heart. And it's the promises of God that allow me to enter into, positionally, the Spirit of God. I can't wake up one morning and say, oh, I think I'll move over to the Spirit today. doesn't work that way. It's taking the promises of God and standing on those promises. And then you begin to live in those promises. And then as those promises are answered, the rejoicing begins to take place in the heavenly realm. And you say, God has heard me. And I can stand here today and say to you, I have come to a place where I only pray one kind of prayer. And that is a prayer that I expect will change the physical realm to make it conform to the spirit realm. I only pray to be answered. Prayer for me is not a yoga practice. It's not something to make me feel good. It's not catharsis for me. Prayer is to the living God of heaven, and I expect an answer. I expect time and space and history to be influenced by what I say in the prayer closet as I stand on the promises of God. If not, why should I pray? What foolishness. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Now, please, here's a key secret. My heart does not say, seek his hand. I'm not going to pray for what I can get out of God. I'm not going to pray so that he will move things and adjust things in the physical realm so that I can be more comfortable. I want to see his face. Now, it's very interesting. We'll all do this, right? We'll all shake hands. But I'll guarantee you that none of you today are going to come up to me. You best not risk it. Come up to me and my face in your hands. Why? Because that is the most intimate thing that can happen. It happens between two people who love each other. A husband may cup the face of his wife and then kiss her, and we'd all turn our heads because that's private. That's embarrassing. We don't touch one another's face. Who was the last person who touched your face? Oh, we touch our children's faces, and they respond with a smile. I want to touch the face of God. I'm seeking the face of God. And I want God to touch my face. I want there to be intimacy between God and myself. I always smile when I think about John leaning back and laying like a child on the chest of Jesus, the Last Supper. And then he's the only apostle who says of himself, 
I'm the apostle Jesus loved. Do you think Jesus loved John more than Peter? No, I don't think so. But John apprehended the love of God for him. I want to apprehend the love of God for me. And I want you to know the love of God. I want to seek his face. I want intimacy with God. You'll never see in the spirit. If you don't have intimacy with God. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, O Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. The Lord will receive me. Though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Now, verse 11 is the next key part. Teach me your way, O Lord. I have for the last number of years been crying out to God and saying, O God, teach me your ways. You know, I know a lot of your ways. I can predict ahead of time how you're going to respond to certain things. That's not good or bad. That just means I know who you are. I know your personality. I want to know God's personality. He's a person. He has a personality that we can apprehend. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now we come to verse 14. The last verse of this psalm, and it's the punchline. Wait for the Lord. To wait for the Lord literally means to bind together, probably to, to twist together you and God, to twist you and God together into one cord. It means to collect, to collect everything about my life and then to Twist it together with God's life so that God's life and my life are indistinguishable. It's one life. That's what this word wait in the Hebrew means. It means to hope. To wait is to hope. And I hope because I am bound together, I am twisted together. With Almighty God, wait, hope for the Lord, be twisted together, be be bound together so that you're inseparable. Wait for the Lord, be strong. That word strong in the Hebrew 
It means be alert. Be alert. Fortify. Harden your position. Be obstinate. The picture here is a man who is bound together with God in the promises of God. And he is utterly obstinate about the promises of God. The Lord has said three things to me audibly in the last weeks. He has said to me, I am working everything out. I will work it all out. And it's in response specifically to a wife coming into my life, to FM radio coming nationally, to being released as a church in revival power. And also several of you that I've been interceding and crying out to God for. And he has said to me, I am working it all out. I continued to pray and thank him for working it all out, knowing that he's in the process of working it out, but being like the obstinate widow, the importunate widow who keeps going saying, I'm not going to give God a moment of rest, and I'm going to either drive him crazy or he's going to do what he promised me he'd do. I've learned that God appreciates a continued hard press in the prayer closet until finally there are times when he said, stop it, because I'm venturing into unbelief. But he said, I'm working it out. The second thing he said to me, very kindly, be still and know that I am God. Which said to me, don't mix your fingers in this deal anymore. Leave it alone. I'm doing it. There's nothing going to happen because you think you have some ability to convince or to Manipulate. In other words, don't go talk to Weva and ask them to begin working on a schedule for FM radio. Leave it alone. Don't mix in it. I'm working it out. Now you be still. And the last thing he said to me, the last days of summer, Because obviously what I did was okay. He said he'd work it out. He said, be still now. In other words, shut up. Don't mix in this. Okay, God. Hands off. Now, when are you going to do it? You know, Daddy, are we almost there? When are you going to do this? You said you'd do it. When are you going to do it? I know you'll do it. Would you hurry up? 
And so he said, last days of summer. Well, I immediately went and looked up. What's the last day of summer? You can go look it up. I know exactly when God said he'd begin to move. Now, what's going to happen in the last days of summer? I'm not quite sure. I just know I trust him. And he doesn't want me to be on his his case about it. Part of God's personality is pray, 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 pray. Until finally he says, all right, now you do this. Part of God's personality is that he always comes and deals with his agenda with me before he'll deal with my agenda with him. And until you get that, you're going to be utterly frustrated because you'll be praying and suddenly the Spirit will start talking to you about something that's not related to what you're asking for. Because God has his agenda. And you've now given him a wonderful chance to deal with his agenda with you because you want so much what you want. So now God wants to deal with your life. Things that you're saying, things that you're doing, unbelief in your heart. And after you've let him iron that out, then he'll deal with your agenda. So I'm... I'm now told that I must fortify, harden, be obstinate about my position that God is answering my prayer. And no unbelief is allowed to enter in. No doubting of God is allowed to enter in. I see in the Spirit. I've heard in the Spirit what God's schedule is. And now I'm to be obstinate. I'm to have a hardened position against the devil who will constantly come and say, nothing's going to happen. You're a fool. God doesn't answer prayer. Yes, he does. If the devil can get us to stop praying, he can stop us from seeing in the spirit realm because we will have deserted the promises of God and we will be left to our own fleshly devices. And then all we can hang on to is our little bit of religion. Be strong. Be obstinate. Fortify your position. And take heart. Literally in the Hebrew, when it says take heart, it means to fasten myself upon, to grab a hold of. 
not to grab a hold of what I want, not to grab a hold of how I feel, to grab a hold of the promises of God and to grab a hold of God himself and stand and know that God will move in time and space and history and do what he said he would do. You see, we in Washington, we're a bunch of conserving, holding people. Just to live in the city, you have to be conserving, holding. I'm by nature more a frog. I'm ready to hop. I'm ready to go. But some of you in this congregation today are very conserving, holding. You want to work everything out. You want to make sure that all your plans are in line. You want to minimize any possibility of risk. doesn't work that way. Not in Jesus. In Jesus, you cast everything you have onto the Lord God of heaven. And you're either going to sink or swim based on what he does or doesn't do. Your confidence is in Jesus, not in your circumstances. Oh, but I've got to work out these finances. I've got to pay off these things. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. No, you don't. You have to trust the word of Jesus to your heart. You have to trust the promises of Scripture and stand and not move from those promises and watch as he opens doors you never dreamed could be opened. Wait on the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Wait. For the Lord, collect everything in your life and lay it on the line for Jesus Christ. And lay aside all of your doubts and all of your fears. Lay it aside. And watch while he opens doors that no man can shut and shuts doors that no man can open. Some of you today are waiting for some major things from God. Don't be double-minded and think, oh, I've got to do this and this and this before God can move. You're so big, you can stop God. Trust him. Seek his face. Be positioned where you can see in the spirit realm. And he'll begin to reveal his heart to you. He'll order your footsteps. The scriptures say he will prearrange your footsteps. You know, today... All I can say is, Lord, be merciful to me. Because I recognize for so many years and so many ways, I've walked in the flesh and not in the spirit. I don't want to do that anymore. I'm going to seek the face of Jesus. I'm going to be bound together with him. And I'm going to sink or swim based on what he decides to do.
not on what I decide. I can tell you today, I love Jesus and I trust him. And his promises give me life. And I'm going to testify. I'm going to publicly state what he's promised so that you'll know when it happens. I'm going to trust him. I'm on the line, hidden in Jesus. So it's Jesus who's on the line. Lord Jesus, may we see in the spirit realm, would you position us by your Holy Spirit's direction so that we can see in the spirit Thank you, Lord. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. We're a house church located in Woodbridge, Virginia. Our mailing address is Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Come visit us at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. cross upon which Jesus died is a shelter in which we can hide and His grace so free is sufficient for me and deep is the fountain that's wide as the sea There's room at the cross for you Yes, there's room at the cross for you Though millions have come That's still room for Yes, there's room at the cross for you. Though millions have found him a friend And have turned from their old life of sin Till the Savior waits to open the gates to welcome the lost before it's too late. There's room at the cross for you. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. Have come 
that's still room for a while. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you Though millions have come There's still room for one Yes, there's room at the cross for you the crow